This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. We're now halfway through the Euro 2020 qualification process. Many teams have already banked to playoff plays due to their progress in the UEFA Nations League from last year, but for other teams, these next two months will decide everything. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Hart, and joining me today is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, do you fancy Ireland's chances? At this point, yeah. It's looking good. Uh, they came back and got a undeserved one-all draw against Switzerland last weekend. Do, do you think it was undeserved? Yeah, like they were dominated by Switzerland. They didn't really show much. They're, they are they reek of a team in transition, although they're transitioning to what, I don't know, because they don't seem to be changing majorly that much. They're very similar to the way they were under Martin O'Neill and laterally under Trapattoni. Like they, they play a defensive style of football that without much creativity, they lack a striker up front. As a result of that, they can't create much. They have good players in the side, and I think they've always had good players in the side, and they kind of roll in and roll out those good players. The likes of, in the past, we've had Robbie Brady, we have Hurahan now, we have Seamus Coleman has been ever-present in that time. You know, these are quality Premier League-level players, but that doesn't always translate to international football greatness or creativity, for that matter. And the international teams do not play, like Ireland, for instance, does not play the same way as a club side. And as a result, very little of the club form of these players ever transfers over. So they are very fortunate given how poorly they performed consistently through this campaign and through the last several years before Mick even took back over the team. They're lucky to be where they are. And they're lucky that even with this inflated Euros of 24 teams, played across how many eight cities ten cities whatever we're going to be at in next season at the end of next season or this season end of this season end of this season summer 2020 you know if we (laughs) they're very fortunate to be in a position where they can almost qualify and it's more that teams with superior individual players cannot seem to match the the same output as Ireland has managed the likes of Denmark dropping points where they really shouldn't be dropping points the likes of Switzerland dropping points where they really shouldn't be dropping points like player for player they're better they have Champions League experience throughout these both of these international teams but as I just said club football doesn't matter as much when it comes to international football not anymore at least I think Iceland if no one else has shown that a team well well ordered well disciplined well drilled can be better than the sum of their parts and can work to a system Portugal winning the last Euros is proof of that even it was good to see David Goldrick get his first goal for Ireland as well, yeah. and, and, a, and a late equaliser as well—an important match. That's it's, always it's great. A good moment. Yeah, that's always great. It's but we have those moments, and they kind of paper over the cracks. Shane Long, John against Germany, John O'Shea against Germany, Richard Dunn against Russia, way back when. Like the, the these, yeah, these are moments that pay that they they're like hiding the cracks underneath. There's like they're not playing well. They're not creating anything. They're relying on James McLean for creativity, and you know he's he's a goer, and probably he's been one of Ireland's most consistent international performers over the last decade. But I don't know if that's really good enough to to set the lights amongst you know set the cat amongst the pigeons, if you want, in terms of passion for international football in Ireland. Like it's it's a much bigger topic, and we'll probably return to it at a later international break. But like we've talked before about maybe making international football something a bit more making it a, you know, a summer, 
event every year instead of having these breaks during the season that really stutter everybody. Every no one like there's the odd club team that are happy, like obviously Javi Garcia wasn't, but there's the odd club team that is happy with an international break. They don't have too many players going away from international duty. They can rest and recuperate. They can plan for the coming weeks. They can set their tactical plans in place. They don't have to worry about certain things and they really love these international breaks. But the majority of teams, it, it screws you up. It screws up your momentum. You lose players for a few weeks. Your players could get injured. Anything could happen in that time. And it doesn't benefit anyone and it doesn't benefit the international countries having these big stop-start goals and having a week to kind of get to know your players and play them again and then losing them for another three months. Imagine having a, the thing at the end of the season, a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks the end of the season where you could have your te- your international teams together, galvanise the squad, get the public behind them, play a few matches, you know, have a little bit of you know, good weather football. Everyone would be happy with that. And it, it, the clubs don't care. They're probably in favour of it because, you know, at the end of the season, they're on holidays anyway. And they're, you know, they could be for sale for all all the players knows. So it's, it, it, they don't care. They don't have any you know skin in the game in that, at that regard. And I think it would benefit the whole game if that happened. But as it is, we're just kind of get these lumbering, poor performances from poor teams and underperformances really given the players that are playing for a lot of these sides. But then again, Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. So. Yeah, it is disruptive to the fan experience as well because, you know, you're watching the Premier League or whatever, European League or whatever, mm. and, like, you're getting in the rhythm of things. The season's just starting. You're starting to really enjoy, like, yeah. that part of the weekend again. And then all of a sudden it's ripped away from you. It's like Ireland played on a Thursday. and yeah. There wasn't really anything to watch. on so I had to actually do something for the weekend yeah. as opposed to just being able to rely on sport. And it's going to happen again in four weeks. Like, when yeah. we get back around and I'm going to check the fixtures and be like, oh, no, yeah, there's nothing next weekend. Yeah, and it's even worse now with the Euro in the Euro years on the Euro qualifying campaign because of the how things don't matter anymore it doesn't mean as much yeah. when you're qualifying for a World Cup it's different like yeah. Ireland have been to the last two Euros now they, you know after a long break out of them in fairness yeah. Yeah. Uh, but qualifying for Euro 2020 you know it'd be nice I, I'd enjoy it you know there'd be a few matches in Dublin or whatever that'd yeah. be nice but qualifying for like Russia it meant something and then obviously it got taken away from us <laughs> in a pretty cruel fashion by the Danes by Christian Eriksen <laughs> Uh, so l- losing that 5-1 is, is more traumatic than anything I think we could experience in uh, this Euro qualifying even yeah, if we do yeah. stumble and mess it up in the end yeah yeah but like we have relative recent success to fall back on and you know something to point to as uh, progress where other teams the likes of Scotland say don't so we have that to fall back on but I don't know if that's good enough reason to rest on our laurels with this like there's been a lot of talk in the last week about Teams like Ireland, not just Ireland, but teams like Ireland using international football to kind of develop football in a way that it can't otherwise develop in those nations. Like the, the likes of many Eastern European countries who now don't have Champions League places. Scotland, as I said, Ireland, who don't have, really have Champions League places. Teams like Cyprus, who have you know middling the odd good player who play in a top league somewhere in Europe, but for the most part have limited Champions League experience, don't get much you know, global exposure for themselves or for their, the way they play football. And international football can be a great opportunity for them to push on in their own careers and also to develop the game in your own country. Because, as I said, th- there, is a, there is a confluence of, of talent now in the big leagues in Europe. And those big teams have already ba- basically qualified for all these tournaments every time, with the exception of maybe Italy in the last... World Cup missing out. Usually these big these big nations qualify, but all their you know, there's nothing for the youngsters in those countries to point to towards you know domestic success. There's no Red Star Belgrade or there's no you know doing fantastically well in Europe anymore. There's no 
Eastern European teams show, showing up and doing stuff. There's isn't even the likes of Apoel Nicosia or anyone like that from Cyprus doing things in the Champions League. You get the odd freak show where someone would even get to a group stage now, but you feel you you don't see very much. So maybe international football is a way to kind of not that you need to drum up popularity, but really you know get people into the game domestically, get people attached to it, get people localized. You know they talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona. I know we're going to talk about them later on, but they're the best supported clubs in the world in Manchester United, and there, there's a few more in there: Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Paris Saint-Germain now growing up those rankings Bayern Munich Juventus you know these big global brands and there's fans all over the world of these teams but as a result of that teams or people are losing touch with their own domestic game and international football is the last strand that's connecting them to their domestic game and I think something has to happen to try and boost everything up and really kind of reconnect the fans with with, with the football yeah, it, like international football has kind of just been in that weird limbo. I think ever since, even just when Greece, I think won the Euros in two thousand four, where it, everyone kind of realized like, oh, the standard isn't actually all that great. When you know club football has all this money poured into it now, you're yeah. able to build the best teams in the world as opposed to relying on you know the luck of nationality yeah. and your own in your own development capabilities to build the best team in the world. Because you think back to say the 60s and the 70s like the World Cup was the be all and end all of football and now obviously players grow up and they obviously want to win the World Cup but it isn't the pinnacle of the best teams we see like Spain are kind of last bastion uh, back in 2010 of like oh this is one of the great footballing sides but then even beside that you look at you compare to Barcelona of the same era it's like well they were just kind of a worse Barcelona without Messi yeah they're Barcelona without Messi (laughs) so like that that was really the first time where international international football kind of became the little brother to to club football like you said it's been a long time since the likes of France would take six weeks before a tournament to prepare like you you hear a couple of weeks now even Republic of Ireland went out to Japan South Korea in 2002 the whole Saipan disaster that went. To, that was. They were several weeks before, or four weeks before the World Cup was due to start. I think they were out there. I don't think. I'm. I'm pretty sure the league campaigns in most domestic leagues in Europe aren't over four weeks before the beginning of World Cup to, or a Euro Championship. Now, they're they're just still going. Club football is absolutely takes precedent over international football. There is no more kind of, you know, special treatment for international teams, especially in the years of tournaments. It's it's club football or nothing. Yeah, it is weird that like we kind of just are remaining in this limbo of like nothing's really being done about it at the top level. Like we're kind of relying on individual countries to kind of step in and be like, oh, well, let's develop football in this country a little bit more. But we're not seeing any development in the kind of calendar of football. Like the Nations yeah. League came in, but that just got rid of friendlies and didn't really change too much about the structure of the game. Which it's no just, one's really pleased with. Like no one wants the structure that's in place at yeah. the moment. It benefits nobody. Club football hates it. Fans hate it. International teams doesn't work for them I don't think it works for TV companies even though this is you know UEFA's grand plan to increase revenue to to nation national associations I don't think it's really got that much better above inflation or above what it would have been anyway like I think the plan to kind of boost international popularity international football popularity has kind of withered in the last couple of years uh, and then earlier you mentioned Javi Gracia, uh, his reign as Watford manager has come to an end during the international break. Interestingly enough, it was announced during the England-Bulgaria match. Yeah, it's a Gus Poyet about it when Gus Poyet got sacked live on air and when he was doing, uh, whatchamacallit, he was doing halftime coverage. Yeah. I know Javi Garcia wasn't doing it, but it was like that. It was They were trying to bury the bad news in which... Didn't, didn't Real Madrid do that? with some, Or was it Spain did that with uh, some some other match they announced? Someone left... 
it, it happened again recently. I think it was Luis Enrique when he left. Yeah. It, so that, that was, that, there were circumstances yeah, around that. Yeah, that was a different uh, scenario. There was yeah, well. bereavement involved in that. But yeah, there, there is... Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird timing thing. Uh, like the, I was talking to you before the show started about this and how Frank de Boer was sacked in a very similar way. One from of this. the great injustices of the Premier League. Well, yeah. we don't know. It could have been the right decision. They stayed up in the end, so it proved to the be the XG stats alone. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't think if you were to average out the way, yeah, the XG and stuff like that, it probably would have stayed up. You don't know. It's he early was in the season. By Christian Benteke. It was pa- it was panic decision. <laughs> Southampton or not Southampton Watford it's strange then because they don't make panic decisions but they seem to make the same decision over and over again this does seem a little panicky though because in this in a similar vein to the way that uh, Frank de Boer was sacked this it does feel that way because you know the underlying stats suggest that they're underperforming and not overperforming yeah. performing at their level but they're not doing and terribly that, well they are bottom of the league at the moment but it is such a it's sample four size four matches, four matches as well. like, and it's and Kiki Sanchez Flores ago comes in like that's a literal step backwards he was the manager two yeah, managers he's ago. a good manager I don't, I don't like Javi Garcia was a decent he obviously got to an FA Cup final he, he is pretty good I, I don't know what the ambitions of the was it the Monchi family isn't it the, the no the Pozzo Pozzo family, family sorry Monchi Monchi's Sevilla yeah, yeah. Uh, the Pozzo family I don't know what the ambitions are with Southampton like when they originally took Watford. over or why do I keep saying Southampton <laughs> with Watford when they originally took over they were in the championship they had was it Sean Dyke was in charge at the time no Sean Dyke was part of the Pozzo family I think oh yeah, was he he I came think, in yeah. whoever was in charge at the time they sacked they, they brought moved, in Zola initially. they brought in Zola Sean Dyke was there later on they switched around managers a few times. They've like, gone through more managers than years. I think they've been at Watford. Yeah, like that when they got promoted initially, then they 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 switched their manager right before the playoffs. Yeah, and then they, they then they sacked. The, it was Slavisa Ivakanovic came in for the playoffs, and then they got rid of Ivakanovic to bring in Sanchez Flores yeah. after they won. And then Sanchez Flores lasted the full first season, and then they brought in Walter Mazzari. Yeah. He lasted a full season. Then they brought in Marco Silva, who lasted four months or whatever it was. Yeah. And then Grassi's been in ever since. This is, he's the longest stint I think they've had. Yeah, as and he's done well. And no, like, like none of these managers did badly. Like Walter Mazzari, you can say the, stuff about, but like Kike Sanchez Flores, he said himself that he'd 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 stop getting through to the players, and he I think that was a mutual decision for him to depart at the time. And him coming back does feel a bit weird. Although he hasn't, like, I know he does punditry and stuff like that in Spain, and he does. He he was uh, working in Spain while uh, after he left Watford, but I can't remember what club he was at. Yeah, and he has won the like Europa League and stuff, so he he does have, uh, you know, previous he, being a good a manager. TV, yeah. yeah, he's a, c- a decent manager, and it'd be a good get in isolation for Watford again. But yeah, it, it, it's a bizarre decision because they're not doing that badly. They haven't. It's not like they've broken the bank or Javi Garcia is like tank the claw or anything like that I I don't like they haven't had the easiest start for them you know the, the ideally the, like Watford do better against teams that are better than them that's the way things are going and it's a difficult start for Sanchez Flores as well because their first game is at home to Arsenal who they yeah. you know they, I think it was Grassi who got well traditionally Watford do manage to beat Arsenal it's like once so, a season yeah, yeah. Uh, but then after that they play City who no. just routinely dismantles that side including the FA Cup final yeah. last, uh, last May yeah I, I foresee them losing the next couple of games at least like I don't know why the, the, the they don't if they're expecting a bounce I don't see them getting it maybe they should have waited another couple of weeks to sack to the next international break yeah maybe that would have been the more clever move but see, the, the, the thing is this didn't actually initially surprise me like going into the international break I think I may, maybe even said it last week I can't remember but I thought oh he'll, he'll, he'll be gone 
next week but mm. then it didn't happen during the week so I thought oh maybe he, he just survived for another few weeks but then they just announced it on Saturday of all mm. days Sanchez Flores still hadn't even met the players at that point although there are still a few from still in the side I think yeah. from when he was first there like Troy Deeney obviously Will Hughes is still there was he uh, there at the time or is yeah, he still at Derby I think he was there, there is, there well. is a few knocking around ar- yeah well. there's a few knocking around and there's a few elder hands and you know uh, Watford do have a lot going for them like they they're well backed by that family by the Ponzi Ponzo Pazzo Pazzo God family and they have some decent players as we you know they have to get the FA Cup final they they are I don't know what the ambition is because they're not going to finish they haven't had the investment worthy of a team finishing above 10th 11th you know at best someone goes wrong ahead of them 9th yeah they came I think it was 9th uh, they came in somewhere last year. along those yeah and that's as best as they could ever hope for so I don't know like in the current Premier League wait like I don't see a Leicester happening in the Watford you know type of situation I don't see that happening anytime soon and the thing is as well like while I think I tipped them for relegation um, and I do think they haven't played very well in the first four games like there's still 34 games for Grassi himself to salvage things and mm. like it wouldn't have surprised me if he had managed to turn it around because yeah. like they got a bit unfortunate against uh, West Ham where it was still one all and they missed an absolute sitter yeah. I think it was Will Hughes actually that missed it and then West Ham went up the other end of the pitch a couple of minutes later scored and they went on to win the match 3-1 in the end I think yeah. it was and like if that goal goes in they win 2-1 yeah. maybe they go higher up the p- they probably overtake West Ham in the table they're out of the relegation zone They've got points on the board. Like it's it's the small margins, and it yeah, feels harsh yeah. that he's been sacked this quickly over such fine margins. It truly is, and I, I just find it the other last surprising thing about this whole situation is when De Boer, going back to that, when he got sacked for Crystal Palace, there was a huge outcry. You can't do this. The football is mad. Football is crazy. Not a peep this time. Silence. Everyone's just accepted it, and it's like, have we? It's not. It's not a like. Oh, football's gone mad, or football's terrible. But it's just it. It is a. It is a sign of the times that we're, we descent, we are now, De Boer desensitised us to managers getting sacked after four matches of a season. I do think they are slightly different in the sense that De Boer was immediately replaced by Roy Hodgson as well, yeah. who is like, that's a total opposite. And Crystal Palace have built up De Boer as yeah. this new era, Crystal Palace, mm. and then they just completely threw yeah, it away. Yeah, there is definitely more joined together thinking at Watford. There always has been. They always, yeah. they never... They're a well-run club. Yeah, so, yeah, the, like the the... The family, I won't. What the Pazzo, Pazzo, Pazzo. Pazzo family? They have previous. They've run clubs for decades now. If you combine them together across Europe, they know what they're doing. And, and like you know, Udinese as well. Like they, they've always been solidly run. Yeah. And all the other clubs they run, like yeah. you're, you're not Real Mallorca, is it? They own them. I can't remember what their Spanish club is. Mm. Uh, and then just finally in the news, Michael Owen and Alan Shearer have gone public in their hatred for each other. What a uh, what great international strike partnership will uh, go public next. Well, uh, and didn't Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham and they hate each other as well, didn't the good, they? A good history of the English partnership. Who was Wayne Rooney up with there? Uh, that he hate Ruud van Nistelrooy. He didn't get on. Nobody got on with Ruud van Nistelrooy. Yeah, but in the England squad, I was thinking of... Michael Owen. He just go Michael Owen yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, Michael Owen's releasing a book soon. I'm sure that's something to do with all this. Oh, it is 100% everything to do with it. Because I think that initially the quotes came out from Michael Owen's autobiography. Yeah. Uh, that led to Alan Shearer bringing. I it still up. don't understand what's this stuff. It's 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 as they say banter. It's yeah. not even banter, really. It's just someone airing dirty laundry. It's not even that dirty. It's just you know. It, it, it was the definition don't particularly like this person. It was just the definition of a slow news week. I think yeah. he timed it well. So I think if it had been the week before or the week after, maybe it would have been drowned out a little by yeah. uh, just football in yeah. general. 
because like Mike Lone on commentary has been a bit of a joke ever since he's done yeah. it around pun around punditry in general. Yeah, like saying stuff like, "Oh, he he took a good penalty there. He'll be disappointed he missed it and stuff like yeah. that." And like just talking about nothing. Everyone makes fun of the fact that he's not watched any movies. He just seems like a dope yeah. He doesn't person. really like football. That's what I've learned about Mike Lone and from his punditry. He's not a huge fan of the game and why. You know, eventually he will be replaced, I'd imagine, as a pundit on on these programmes. Last week in Monaco, the Champions League group stage draw took place. While the draw itself hasn't left many wondering what 16 teams will progress to the second round, it does make for a good launch pad for discussion as to European football as a whole. Last season, all of the traditional top five league titles, i.e. Spain, England, Italy, Germany and France, all saw their champions retain the crown. Last season also saw initial plans for a new Champions League format be put forward, involving promotion and relegation. These two things leave us wondering, what is the future of European football? Well, I hope, as I said at the time, I hope, I really do hope that uh, Champions League football isn't knocked off the, you know, into that promotion relegation thing. I think that's terrible. Yeah, it does sound like uh, in the in most recent talks that the uh, plan for promotion relegation has been muted by most clubs. I think it's mostly just Agnelli at Juventus that is pushing it. Yeah, because he needs to kind of boost Juventus's global profile and clearly winning multiple Serie A titles back-to-back doesn't seem to do it for and, them. And losing multiple Champions League finals yeah, back-to-back. Yeah, and changing their kit to look less like referees so they're more marketable in America. Yeah, because like, uh, it does sound like the American, not American, the British uh, clubs were not a big fan of it. I, I don't, I can't imagine that they will be too bothered about the structural changes to the Champions League because it isn't as much of a moneymaker as the Premier League itself True. is. Yeah, but I think the Premier League acknowledge, and, and most teams would know, they know that what goes up can't come down. There's been no, since the demise of the Manchester United juggernaut, there's been no ever-present you know, team in those top tournaments of like the Champions League since it became the Champions League in the early 90s. Manchester United were that team, and now that they're not there, they know they can easily get, fall out of favour. They can have a couple of years where they don't qualify for the Champions League. And all of them know that, so they're they're realistic about their prospects. Like they can know something can change and they can fall out, and they don't want to be completely like relegated. They don't want to be absent or trapped in a deserted island away from Champions League football for multiple years. It it, it wouldn't suit them financially. It wouldn't suit them as clubs, and it doesn't really make much sense in competition wise because you know I, I'm in favor of open seating and removing these kind of. Um, kind of removing these kind of exclusivity things that are in the Champions League and I know you're not really necessarily for that but it, it, I think it would be better in the long run for to have these kind of open to continue what we at least at least at the very mo- what we have at the moment as an open structure of football yeah and like there's stuff as well in recent years where like four the top four of the, of the big four leagues being guaranteed a Champions League place mm. based on their previous result or previous league result is just kind of like we're getting bigger teams in it like we're getting Inter Milan back in the Champions League now yeah. we're getting but the Italian teams don't like the, we're getting these teams in there but they're not performing exactly and it just leaves like teams like uh, not Red Star but great because they actually have come back into it yeah. but teams from that from that area of, yeah. like Sparta uh, Prague are in there this season but they've that's, suffered that's, the last few seasons of the, not being the, able to the get standard, in like that standard that, yeah. uh, that you would see from Red Star Belgrade, like that's affecting it all across Europe yeah. like Celtic 
Celtic are struggling to get to the Champions League. Yep. Ajax are going through years of, or not years, rounds of qualifying, yep. and PSV aren't necessarily getting in there alongside yep. uh, Ajax. And Belgian teams get suffer yeah. as you know I, I these smaller. Last time Anderlecht was in the Champions League. Yeah, it's been a couple of years at least. Anyway, I, yeah, I think I they were in there with Celtic one year, but other than that, it's there been was barren. there was another Belgian team in there last season. I remember. I think they didn't they play Man City. Uh, Genk. Was it? I who I think it was. Like, they were in Man City's group last yeah. year, but like a Belgian team is getting through. But it is just like singular now. When previously we could have had like Feyenoord, PSV, and Ajax in, in Champions League, you would have had Celtic in the Champions League or Rangers or both even. Yeah, like in in theory, you you would have more, and it spreads the wealth of football then. And then team players aren't so concentrated getting out of these leagues as to go back on the earlier point about promoting football in these in these smaller countries and it, it, it it's not affecting it negatively now as much but in years to come in decades to come it will absolutely negatively impact football in those countries because they, they're not seeing the highest level they're not getting the opportunity of seeing football at its highest level they're not having a reason to switch on to tune in to support their local football to get involved in local football and it just ends up you know just damaging football domestically in those countries like far be it for Ireland like we, we're nowhere near Getting near a Champions League place, we're barely near getting a Europa League. Yeah, place. I don't think uh, Dundalk qualified for Europa League this year. I can't, I can't even remember. Like in normally, they played a qualifier. No, I don't think so. I, I think they lost a. I know they lost Carabao at one point, but I think that was Champions League qualifying. Yeah. But then one of the actually more interesting uh, ideas I've seen put forward for the kind of innovation of European football would be the idea of uh, merging the Belgian and Dutch leagues into one system. Which would be quite interesting because obviously, you know, we dislike the idea of a Super League, but I think this would be different in the sense that it would help raise the standard of competition in those two countries. Yeah. Because one thing that has really held back Ajax in terms of European competition, not PSV and Fire Order as well, is the fact that it is just those three that are qualifying for Europe. They yeah. don't have a fourth or a fifth or a sixth team to come in and help boost the coefficient points that they would have yeah. every season in the way that you would see in Spain and England and France yeah. and all those other countries. So the idea of kind of putting together those two leagues or those two systems yeah. would be quite interesting. And there, there's possibilities for other countries to do the same. Like I know there's been a lot of talk over the years of Celtic and Rangers joining the English pyramid and yeah. stuff like that. But well, that's and, never materialised. And, and we have Swansea and Cardiff in there Yeah, the well. Welsh teams are in there, but Wales is a different kettle it, of fish. Yeah, it is slightly Scotland. different as well. Like it would be interesting to see yeah. if that w- idea came to pass, or if we saw yeah, more it, ideas put forward. It's unfortunate, but that's you're probably like, I'm sure people in Belgium and Netherlands, loyal supporters of their leagues of the Eredivisie and whatever. I forget what the Belgian Super League yeah, is the called. Ju- Juleper, Juleper. Yeah, ju- it's something like that. Juniper League or whatever. Pro league or something. Yeah, I'm sure they would hate the idea of their league getting kind of, I don't know what, what castrated and turned into some weird proxy league that of the two nations but uh, unfortunately that's the reality we live in that we have to try and find these solutions for smaller nations to compete with the larger leagues like I'm pretty sure a league of Belgium Netherlands will probably challenge France as one of the big leagues yeah and it would certainly be entertaining because we'd have the title contenders in two countries coming yeah. together essentially to create what would be a top six or a top seven and yeah. then the standard of mid-table teams would be better because you're getting a few... Like, you're kind of getting rid of the dead weight that is there in the Eredivisie. Yeah. Uh, not to knock on those two leagues, but the, it feels like those leagues are a bit bloated with weak competition. Yeah, there's, there's not really much the, to be done Yeah, there's that. some lightweight competition in there, and there's a few... Which, to, to, to the Dutch and to the Belgian credit, that's almost... Both of those leagues are often proving grounds for a lot of young talent, especially from South America, that come over 
and you know they get a chance to play football and that is why the Dutch and Belgian national teams traditionally have pretty good youth players coming through and they often have good representation in, in international Champions League level teams around the world or around Europe at least um, but yeah unfortunately that, that is a solution like the, there's there's some talk of it happening in, in the Czech Republic and other countries in the Eastern Bloc maybe reforming other leagues older leagues that once existed to try and boost the the, the, the standard and, and hopefully improve their coefficient results as well to try and get more uh, more Champions League places but that's more for financial survival I think more than anything else in the likes of Romania and countries in, in that area as well it like I think these leagues have enough to survive on their own, but it, I th- I don't see another way forward for them in the longer run. Especially if a European Super League ever does materialise, unfortunately the likes of those Eastern European leagues, maybe Belgium, Netherlands, and Scotland, and those you know formerly teams that would provide a Champions League winners, like in not you know European Cup winners European Cup winners most definitely and you know teams who who compete in Europe like Rangers have got to Europa League finals Celtic have got to Europa League finals in the last 20 years uh, so you know they're they're decent teams they're not they're not to be laughed at really but you know that's their way to compete with the European Super League is form their own mini Super Leagues yeah like it, it'd almost be like a weird make a, a European pyramid almost yeah it'd be kind of like American sport with major leagues and minor leagues and stuff like that yeah, and then just to bring back to the other facet of this conversation of the top five leagues being all retained last year between Man City, PSG, Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Juventus. Juventus yeah. And going into this season, like we're a couple of games now into each of those leagues and Barcelona probably looked the most likely so far to not retain, but like PSG, PSG a bit of a slow start, but you just imagine that they will in the long yeah. run. You imagine that Man City and Liverpool, that title race will go close, but you'd back Man City to win it. Yeah. Bayern Munich, Dortmund could be interesting, but like Dortmund lost to Union Berlin, which I suppose is a good story in itself for Union Berlin and all that, but that's a disappointing defeat for Dortmund. Yeah. And, and it doesn't seem like the kind of match Bayern will lose this year. Yeah. Then like Inter Milan are kind of better than they have been now that Conte got in, but like even with Sarri coming in and probably knocking 10 points off, what yeah. Allegri would probably get yeah. he'd still back you to win yeah you can't like Ancelotti does ha- is a good manager we, no doubt like he's won Champions League multiple times he's won league titles wherever he's well most places he's gone so he has had a season to bed in as well so you, you can hope for something like that from Ancelotti at Napoli and as you say Conte at Inter like Juventus was the main league I would I would focus on the, uh, this is a, this is a potentially a league title that could change hands this season but like having the season started and Napoli losing already to Juventus yeah that was, such, that was such a cruel game but as it's, well. it's points like I know Juventus probably won't maintain the the, the, the pace they were at in previous years but there, any any points dropped against Juventus like that's a six point turnaround like Especially the sequence of events that happened in that yeah. match because Juve went 3-0 up then Napoli brought it yeah. back to 3-0 and then Kulabali uh, with such a fluky kind of own goal yeah, and last kick of the game that's psychologically damaging especially when it's Napoli against Juventus yeah. it's, you know it, it, especially it, with Sarri not quite there because he's yeah. sick and we hope he does well there getting yeah. over pneumonia 
but like with Sarri as manager, Higuain scoring for Juve as well. Yeah, it it's adds huge. Yeah, it adds huge. Yeah, huge, huge weight to the whole affair. And you say Inter there, but Inter I don't trust. Like they've got rid of their best player, who I know it's probably better for the team unity in the long run. Icardi, we talked about a lot last season about how he was just kind of the whole Wanda. Is it Wanda the wife? Yeah, Wanda Nara. Yeah. Yeah, the whole situation around her as as his uh, agent manager. And causing havoc wherever you know every week, and him getting into arguments with the so ultras. PSG with, is the perfect spot for. Yeah, like we, I won't even go. We'll, we'll come to PSG in a second, but like Inter, I like they've signed players to replace him. Like Lukaku seems to have hit the ground running, and then he gets racially abused, and then the fans attack Lukaku for getting racially abused. Like yeah, like that's such a bizarre situation. Like, I don't know how long. Like Lukaku, poor. Like I, I don't want to say poor Lukaku because he's a well-paid, he's a millionaire, multi-millionaire. But that's not footballer. A, that's not a, a, a no, but it's I, not a like. I'm I, not saying I, nothing about racist abuse, uh, but I mean, yeah. Okay. I, if I finish my point, that he's only just left a club that didn't really want him after leaving. Everton, who did want him after leaving Chelsea, who didn't really want him, and now he's at Inter, who it looks like the writing's on the wall already that he'll probably have to go at the end of the season again and move to Spain, maybe this time, and maybe he won't be abused or hated in in some form or another. Like it, it I feel bad for him in that respect because he hit the ground running, he did well. After he answered his critics really after he scored, leaving, he scored in his first two games. Yeah, and after, and did well in those games as well. It wasn't just his goals that were his, his contribution to the team was good as well, which is something that's often overlooked about Lukaku. I know there was a bit of that a couple of seasons ago when he first joined United that he, he did a lot of good work on the right hand side and you know he did it again for Inter but it's 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 just that team with those fans with the way with Conte it's, it, it seems like all the elements are there to be a great team you know I know they're leaving the San Siro in the next few years it would be a great way to go out to build something to do great for Inter again but they just they can't they just seem to screw everything up yeah, that is kind of almost written into the, the history of Inter Milan at this point with Jose Mourinho and uh, Hector Herrera. Kind yeah. Is that his name, Hector Herrera? Her- yeah, it was something. The Helenio Herrera, right? Yeah, yeah. Thinking of the Portuguese fella uh, at Porto. Uh, but those two managers are kind of the the kind of exception that kind of proves the rule almost. Like we saw last year in the Champions League with the Spalletti where they had the group in their hands and yeah. then they just drew with PSV and already knocked out PSV yeah. and handed Tottenham away back in. But I watched multiple intermatches last season, especially when they played uh, good teams. I don't want to say superior teams, but like, you know, good teams in Serie A or if they're Competent. playing... Yeah, they're likes of PSV or Tottenham or anything like that. And they battered them in terms of football. They, they created chances, they controlled the game. They they're like, you were cut, they looked to cut above and they conceded goals and they couldn't respond. And they looked like... They look naive. And even in, in Spalletti's final few games there where they looked like they were certs to get top four and then they nearly threw it away on the final game yeah. and allowed Milan back into it for about 20 minutes there and then they managed to turn around mm. against a, a relegation threat in Empoli. Yeah. Like, it, it just seems like it's written into the history of that club. And then uh, I suppose it is good that the Derby d'Italia will be uh, one of the bigger games this yeah. season. Like, in the last few years, it's been kind of a bit muted just because mm. really the whole story going to is just can Inter slow down Juve's challenge against someone else or yeah. can they get slight bra- bragging rights it doesn't have that history that it did in the 90s even where yeah. these were the two biggest teams in Italy going against each other fighting for the title it, it, it's good to see a return to that but Italy it, 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 are, are Juve are on the longest streak of those Six five league titles or Bayern no I think it's is it, I think it's Juventus yeah, or maybe it's the same amount actually. Cause they both win it in twenty twelve. 
Probably, yeah. yeah. They're either way, they've won it a lot. It is depressing yeah. either way. And like then last year, we talked about a team that just kind of throws it away and doesn't take advantage of the situation when it's there in front of them. Brucey Dortmund last year, yeah. just they they had it all, and then just even in the match against Bayern Munich, they lost what five nil, mm. and like it just was so depressing to watch, really yeah. for them. Like not like I've got no skin yeah, they, in the game they, there. They choked like Lucien Favre. He has a he has a habit of doing this he and he, they don't cope psychologically when it comes to it, when the crunch happens they're not a clutch team they haven't been for several years and despite the being probably the weakest Bayern Munich team in several years of them going clearly going through some kind of weird change or I hate to say but transition Niko Kovac not playing the way he wanted to play and not playing the way Bayern Munich hierarchy wanted him to play and getting in players getting out players and the same thing kind of continuing on into this season. Like, Nico Kovac probably would have been sacked if he didn't win the league last year. He's somehow still there because of the lack of maybe alter- alternative options that are available at the moment. I'd say he'll be gone at the end of this season and someone else will be in at that point. Maybe it's Allegri, maybe it's somebody else. But I don't see Dortmund really. They've signed well. They've kept hold of players I thought they might lose, the likes of um, Jaden Sancho, who's hit the ground running this season again. Signed a new contract again, waiting exactly. for and a few other players that are there as well. And they still have maintained some of their great players like Marco Royce and Mario Goetz is making a slow and steady comeback. They, to they brought back uh, uh, Hummels, Mats Hummels. Exactly. Well. And that, that's kind of where the, the, the other interesting narrative point that I wanted to bring in here as well. is like before the transfer window opened, I remember talking about it on the show, like, oh, we're, we're building up to this big grand summer where all the big clubs are kind of in that transitional period where they need to buy new players. And Real Madrid kind of did that but that even paled in comparison to what Atletico were doing across the other side of the city Bayern they brought in Coutinho on loan they didn't they brought in Ivan Perisic they didn't really bring in the players that was expected for them they got to who in. they who was available they got who they could if, yeah I felt like they kind of did a kind of half-assed version of what they should have done mm. in a way that maybe Manchester United have done in the past in yeah. other English clubs but it's weird to see the teams that we like normally we associate Bayern and Real Madrid with this ruthless nature of, we're going to go to the market we're going to get who we want no matter what the other team says and we're going to get it for the price we want and we're going to play the best football with the best players and all this and we're going to buy our way to a title essentially yeah. and like it's just like with Real Madrid and PSG as well it's, it's disappointing to see them completely abandon the, the youth players that they had coming yeah. through the ranks there as well because PSG offloaded several uh, Real Madrid like Danny Ceballos even yeah. not necessarily a youth player but a young Spanish player coming through they've got uh, Regilon uh, went out on loan several players went out on loan and it hasn't helped anything for yeah. Real Madrid and then there's the whole stuff with Gareth Bale where it's like oh hopefully he's gone tomorrow the top scorer yeah he's, <laughs> he's already the top scorer in the league now at the moment and it's just so bizarre to see teams yeah. that we once thought of as ruthless in this market now just kind of getting by. Yeah. Like the, like Real Madrid spent a lot of money on Hazard and Luka Jovic, but it doesn't seem like they were players that necessarily Zidane wanted in or Perez wanted in. Yeah, it seems there like was, there was a power was, struggle there. Yeah, and it, yeah, the, like I don't see Real Madrid challenging for the league in no. a way that like Atletico Madrid already are. In fairness, they've won all their games. They have a five point head start over Barcelona. Yeah, uh, and Barcelona as well. Like you think after their humiliating exit from the Champions League last year that they'd have done something. Like, they brought in Griezmann, they brought in Frankie de Jong, but they don't seem like they're the holes that need yeah. filling in that like, club either. Looking at, going back to international football, Frankie de Jong continued where he left off last season for Netherlands, hasn't managed to do it at all for Barcelona so far. 
it's a different type of football. He's not integrating that quickly. I, that doesn't mean he won't in the longer run. I don't know about it. Griezmann, you know, you think the opportunity of Luis Suarez being injured and on the way down in terms of his, you know, contribution to the team in terms of goals and assists in the last years has gone down steadily since he joined. That this is an opportunity for a new player to take over as the main striker, and maybe that is Griezmann. And you don't really know they're getting it. when they played with each other earlier in the season before Suarez got injured. They were getting in the way of each other. They didn't really know what they were doing. They were like both on top of each other, and now they almost Barcelona seem almost lightweight because all they have is Griezmann. I know Messi's coming back now, and Dembele, and you know they've got rid of Coutinho, which despite him being a le- one less man, seems to have freed up a bit of space in midfield somehow. But they don't seem like they know what they're doing and they don't have a defined style of football and if you have nothing else if you have as we've said many times before if you don't have excitement in terms of players or in terms of winning or in terms of you know prospects of getting well in in big tournaments which maybe Barcelona don't have this season you want to at least see a style of football a a way of playing something you can get behind and that is missing and always has been missing from Valverde's Barcelona I thought it was a certainty last season after he crashed out of the Champions League he would get sacked and someone else would be brought in but it appears that they don't have that you know that individual they want to target and they don't really seem to know what they're doing There's I know there's an election in the next year I think in Barcelona maybe that'll change everything but they there seems to be a lot of inertia at that club since Valverde was appointed there was even talk this week of Messi leaving maybe leaving when his contract expires I think the end of this season to go back to Argentina, is it? Or, well, I don't think he'll go back to Argentina, but he'll go anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like, whoever that would be. I don't see it as being that likely because he seems to be, you know, he's a one-club man so far, at least at his professional level. I don't, why, why would he go somewhere else when he could take on this whole, you know, take the, he already has taken the whole club mantle upon himself. So, but the, if the fact that there's talk about it and players like Sapique, senior players Sapique, are acknowledging that this is a realistic possibility, you know, it's it's a it's a bit worrying for Barcelona, and they they probably need to change or not change, but really get set themselves upright in the near future. That doesn't mean for I still have them as favourites to win the La Liga because they have that strength and depth. Because one primary reason they have Leo Messi, and if he plays, he mo- Barcelona will most likely win, and he generally does play a lot of games. Yeah, it is interesting that uh, Atletico basically got rid of their whole starting eleven for various reasons. You know, Griezmann release clause was matched and certain players just their time at the club had, and, yeah, yeah. had come to an end but they, they spent a lot of money and they seem to have yeah. spent it well Like uh, they always do and it's interesting that they're kind of going for a slightly different style they've kind of morphed that 4-4-2 into a 4-2-3-1 the, yeah. the, the game is centred around João Felix now it's not very similar to Griezmann but no. he, he brings that same spark to the team yeah. that was there and would have been missing yeah. if they hadn't brought in anyone to replace Griezmann so it is, inter- it, it is interesting to see Simeone kind of evolve now because over the last few years like I've thought over the last two or three years that oh this is the year let it go come back or no this is the year but then yeah. like the way they went out to Juve in the Champions League they didn't really push for La Liga in, in the end against Barcelona yeah against a weak Barcelona yeah so it is interesting to see that they maybe Simeone has seen oh okay this team's gotten stale my tactics have gotten yeah. a little stale let's go out there and try something a little different and they went 2-0 down against Eibar Last week, it was interesting to see them actually come back and win that 3 2 because mm. I'm not sure they would have done that last year. So, yeah, it, like they didn't have the firepower, it's yeah. to say, and I still think they're lacking a bit and they're they're still 
like as in a, a proper centre forward, they're still looking for that new yeah, centre. Diego Costa, like he's he, still there. He's, yeah, uh, he's he's just he's definitely past his best. Yeah, at this yeah, point. absolutely. He, he's still a great contributor to the overall team ethos, but I don't know is he going to actually contribute with yeah. crucial goals? And same with Morata. Yeah. Who? Uh, yeah. yeah. Morata, we don't even want to. Morata is basically the new friend of Torres. He'll come in for a couple of, which <laughs> yeah. is terrible because he's only what twenty four, twenty five, and he's oh, he's not that young, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's still he's younger. Young. Yeah, he's still pretty young. Yeah, so we. Will yet to be seen. Like it's interesting, and you know it would be as it, as the season started and we've rolled into the first few weeks of the season. It seems that Atletico are the most likely to challenge that 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 um, hegemony. Is that the word yeah. of of league champions? Like they seem to be the most likely. Real Madrid. Before we go too much into them, they're going nowhere at the moment. I think, I think Zidane is one of the worst records of a manager since coming back to Madrid, including last season. And Again, I don't know if that's his doing or just the, the Basque case that is Real Madrid at the moment and they don't really know what, what's happening. And Gareth Bale is carrying the team even though they wanted to get rid of him up until the very last minute. Qu- question marks still remain over Zidane for me, even though he won three, three Champions League, three Champions League, League, League in a row. But I'm still not convinced he's a good manager. Yeah. Like It's so bizarre. Well, he is. He's a great manager. It's just that maybe he was a great manager at that moment and maybe he's not that great manager anymore. And then... The, there's the whole Neymar equation as well going on between Real Madrid and Barcelona and then PSG like it, seemed, it sounded like they were willing to sell him well they got a Cardi in and I think that was their well the fear there is that Cavani is out of contract at the end of the season and they realise that okay his time in the club is waning it yeah. is time to kind of get rid of him basically and he can go off and maybe go back to Napoli go somewhere yeah. else go back to Uruguay maybe yeah, uh, maybe at Christmas even get a yeah, little bit maybe. of money for him uh, and then Mbappe, his influence in the side is growing as well. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah, th- but I that, think they I th- play off each other. I think one of the reasons why Real Madrid didn't attack and go all out for Neymar this summer is because Mbappe will probably be available next summer. Yeah, I it'd be so bizarre as well to see PSG just completely get torn apart by Real Madrid and Barcelona next season because it sounds like they, they kind of want to get rid But that's what happens. Neymar. That's what happens when you're not, like, we don't want to talk about football heritage, but that is the, the case when... Like Luis Suarez is playing for Liverpool Football Club, one of the biggest clubs in the world with the biggest histories in the world. Now I know he didn't have the same connection to the place as maybe other players would. And the club wasn't quite. Uh, it wasn't at the level it's at right now as Champions League winners. But he wanted away from that club. He wanted to go to Arsenal. He wanted to go to anywhere that would take him away from the place. And unfortunately for PSG, they have the same. They're a great club. It's one of the best cities in the world, Paris, and it's a romantic club. You know, even if it doesn't have a history yet, it will have a history soon. And that is an attraction to a lot of players, to a lot of coaches, to a lot of fans. Get behind a team that hasn't made history yet, that hasn't achieved much yet, and become be part of it as it does that. But that only goes so far. And when you have the opportunity as a as a professional, I can be a part of this now, or I can go to this massive, globally like most one of the most supported clubs in the world and be the best player at that club or have an opportunity to, to prove myself at that level, they go, they'll they take it in, a, in, an, in an absolute instant. And then their actual competition in France is... Yeah. Like, Monaco obviously were a great one-off season a yeah. couple of years ago, but it feels like it's going to take another one-off season from another great side yeah. to that eventually gets picked up. Like, Lille did great last year, but it was more down to, like really exceptional coaching and a couple of really uh, of bright sparks of players and like they've lost some of those they've players. lost like some of their Pepe best players gone. yeah uh, like Marseille are always th- they're they're about but they're always it seems like they're still in transition with this new owner coming well in. I don't know if transition is the right word I just don't think they'll ever be up they are 
like if they were in one of the big European leagues, the other big European leagues, they would be skirting Europa League places. They'd yeah. never really be pushing any further than that. Uh, then like Nice were bought by Jim Ratcliffe, the yeah. richest man in Britain. Uh, it seems like he's kind of betting in there. It doesn't seem like he's planning on investing hugely anytime no. soon. Like they have a decent side. Patrick Vieira in charge. So an yeah. interesting kind of side plot to that team. Yeah. And then uh, Leon as well. Like They're a well-run club. They obviously were very uh, successful about 10 years ago before PSG came in and decided yeah. they wanted to run the place. Or rather, Qatar decided they wanted yeah. to run the place. But again, like they have an exceptional side. They did quite well in Europe last year. Like They beat Man City. They were very impressive. Mm. They were close to putting up a fight against Barcelona before but Messi they've lost some of in. their best players again. Yeah, Nabil Fakir kind of left randomly yeah. for a, a cheap enough price to Real Betis which is kind of yeah. one of the weirder signings Yeah, some, the there's summer. always been talk about Fakir and his knees yeah, and stuff like that ever since that Liverpool move collapsed yeah. there's been worries about him but he was still doing very well yeah. early on like they've got Memphis Depay in there he, he was continuously kind of just a B B plus kind of player yeah. like he does well with Leon but I couldn't see him going back to a Manchester United calibre club and doing well there well at this point Man United would very yeah maybe, maybe he can go back to Man United specifically and do well yeah, not a Man United calibre or, yeah. or even just a Champions League level club I should well, say well I, I think Memphis Depay is pretty good and he, he has shown himself in the Netherlands and at Leon that he is a, an exceptional player just maybe he thrives better when he is a big fish in a small pond yeah. than just another fish in a, in a larger pond and I think that helps his, you know, his mentality and the way he plays the game. He, when he has more responsibility on his shoulders, I think he actually does better than when he's just meant to be a bit part player in a in a greater collective. And like they lost in Dombele as well, who's yeah. kind of central to their yeah. Midfield. So like I, I would say Leon will be lucky to finish third this season in in France. Yeah. Like I think second is up for grabs between anyone. It's it's a matter of get, like Leo last season getting a good run in the middle of the season together, but PSG have this sewn up without even doing much. His chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. The Premier League is back this week, and uh, we've missed it so over the last yeah, it's been rough. period. There's no. It's one of the few weeks this season where there is no big game uh, between any of the two top six. Silly but sky. Maybe it's for the best, though, that uh, we kind of ease ourselves back into it. Yeah. The, it's actually because the Champions League is back uh, the following Tuesday and Wednesday. Then. Uh, we do have a few teams playing at 3 o'clock that we might not have seen yeah. previously but we've got Liverpool and Newcastle at 12.30 that's a, a storied history of the fixture list yeah the greatest game them. in the Premier League history the, Kevin Keegan against uh, Roy Evans yeah the 4-3 uh, Stan, Stan Collymore yeah. Uh, I don't foresee it maybe being that kind of no, a game no let's not build up uh, maybe that, closer to the you know was a, the Luis Suarez era 4 or 5 nils yeah yeah I can see those happening again. Uh, Liverpool, a lot of their players kind of didn't have much, like they were on international duty, but didn't have to do a great deal on international duty, if you know what I mean. Uh, so most of them would have a, a, quite a nice week of uh, resting and stuff like that to to get themselves going for this match against Newcastle. And Newcastle, see Bruce has had two more weeks to bed in his tactics and his uh, pre-match training regimes, his uh, warm-ups uh, and everything like that. They had a good result against Spurs. They had an okay result the week after against, uh, whatchamacallit, last week. They got the draw. Yeah, I remember, but I can't remember. Norwich? No, they lost to Norwich. They lost to Norwich. Whoever it was, was it wasn't Watford. Cause we just, was it someone in yellow? Southampton? 
I can't remember. We can't no. remember at all. They, the result against Spurs is the big one. Yeah, and then they got a draw afterwards. So they're unbeaten in two matches. That, so that's something to, to look forward to for them. But I think this Liverpool side will ease themselves into a Champions League group the following midweek by putting a few goals past them and maybe giving a chance to a couple of the players who haven't got, uh, who haven't had too many opportunities so far this season. Uh, then in the three o'clock kickoff, we've actually got some pretty interesting matches. Uh, pity they won't be televised anywhere. Uh, Man United play Leicester, which you know seems like a real banana skin kind of game for their Man United. Well, the way Manchester United season is going, as I said to you before the international break happened, I think the international break would be a bit of a savior for Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. But if Leicester pulls something out of this, and Brendan Rodgers does love beating Manchester United when he has the opportunity to, he is a former Liverpool manager. He knows he, he's won at Old Trafford as a manager. He has. And he would love like, and this would, this would propel Leicester to a to a. I think clearly being the best of the rest in terms of this season and, and it going forward. I think Everton, while having an you know an okay start and spending a lot of money, I don't think they have the um, don't think they have the structure or team or kind of management in place that Leicester do. I think Leicester have a very strong spine, good defenders, good goalkeeper. Uh, Jamie Vardy doesn't look like sewn down anytime soon. Madison's a strong player. Uh, I think Brandon Rogers and the team around him, the sporting directors and the coaches, have signed good players this summer. He's bringing in youth. He's still trying to get the best out of the likes of Iheanacho and a few of the other younger players in that team. They've held on to players as well that they thought they would lose last summer. The only real departure was Harry Maguire. They know Harry Maguire as well. They probably know how, like, if there's one player in the Premier League that knows how to get at Harry Maguire. It's probably Jamie Vardy. Yeah. So it it's all lining up to be a good opportunity for Leicester to do it. And as I said before, a lot of their players have had the last two weeks off. So they'll be raring to go against this uh, kind of weird Manchester United team who haven't got They're out of the blocks at all. They've kind of flat ever since that Chelsea win. Is Pogba back fit? I know he missed international duty. Uh, I get the feeling that was one of those I'm skipping international duty yeah. kind of injuries as opposed to an actual injury. But like Same with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, but there are two players I think they have cover for in some regard that they have players who could step into those roles and not dem- like wreck United's chance of getting a result in this game. But the, the positions that still worry me are centre-half around Harry Maguire, not necessarily Harry Maguire, but whoever he's going to be playing with. And up front, that you lose one of your players, or your players, your Marcus Rashford or your Anthony Martial's have a bad day, and you're not getting anything out of the match. And that is my big concern for that match from Manchester United point of view. You'd have them, I'd say a draw is probably the favourite at the yeah. moment, because you, you it's old, at Old Trafford... You can't really bet against Manchester United Old Trafford despite them already losing there this season. But it, it, it's it's veering very close to a Leicester being the favourites of victory in that match, which is very unusual when you think about it. Early in the season at Old Trafford, Manchester United against Leicester City, and you're thinking rationally that Leicester City have a very good chance of victory. Uh, Tottenham against Crystal Palace, uh, London Derby there, also 3 o'clock. I can't see beyond Tottenham at this point. They need to get a, a result there. They were... See, they, it is the kind of match for Palace. Like they did it to Manchester United. They've done it last season where they, 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 just, beat, they beat Arsenal last season. They yeah, beat, they, 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 one match in the league that suits them is being away against one of the top sides. Yeah. Uh, so it, it could be a tricky afternoon for Spurs. But uh, yeah, it could just be one of those matches where Spurs just win it by virtue of having the quality well, in the side like, to get through. Th- their it. squad is is lightweight. I think in terms of the number of players they have, they have a Champions League match a few days later. They will need to split 
you know, they'll need to actually rest players or actually have a bit of uh, a, a strategy for conditioning. So, because it is early in the season, the, as I said, Harry Kane scored a hat trick for England. He did play. The, in, their English based players have played. Their international, most of their international players actually have played over the over the break, which you know isn't the best preparation for this. When when you're kind of looking, why are you playing in nonsense matches? when you could be resting and recuperating and getting your early season fitness back, you know, in in line because that's something that was noticeable against Arsenal is that they were out in their with the exception of a few players, they were like out on their feet. Like Davison Sanchez was just completely wrecked by the seventy fifth minute in the in the Arsenal match. And he's is he going to deputize it right back again? Is you know is that is something against Zaha, it's not a good person to be up against when you can't actually play right back. So there, there is opportunity for Crystal Palace, but I just think I think Pochettino has set his stall out. He's not leaving at least in this period of the season. Whether he decides to go later on in time when a Real Madrid job maybe comes available, that might be a different story. But he, he's his window is closed. Transfer window is now closed, which he said is the beginning of the season for him. He's got his team at least until Christmas. He can work with them. He can psychologically work with his team and get them up for the match and. He did it last season. He pulled out results when they didn't play well, when they shouldn't have got results. I think they have to focus on this and get a result in the league to try and set themselves up for a good season because otherwise you're looking at them already being in that kind of embroiled in that top six race when they really, the last few seasons, they've been up there in third, challenging second, first. I don't see that happening this season, but they maybe don't want to throw in the towel this early. Uh, Wolves against Frank Lampard's Chelsea as well could prove for an interesting tie. Similar to the Manchester United match, uh, like United have started poorly this season, haven't really got out of the blocks. Chelsea are something similar, like Tammy. Is it is it Abraham or uh, Abraham? It's definitely Abraham because I I Abraham. Uh, I I've only ever heard Tam, Tam, Tammy Abraham. Yeah, it, it's the commentator match today screwed me up, but he's finally started scoring and he scored pretty good goals now against uh, Sheffield United in the last match. And Norwich the week before. And Norwich the week before. He but he he's actually getting these aren't like these aren't opportunistic set pieces. These are goals he's taking well. He's commanding the box. The, I don't personally. I don't even think he was doing this well at Aston Villa in terms of his you know his overall physical presence in the box has become way more over the summer. I think his physical conditioning has improved or something because he's he is looking much more of a centre forward now. But I still have question marks over him. And as I said after the Manchester United match. Is he a is he a, a striker for a top team or is he the Danny Welbeck of this world or kind of an eighth or ninth place good solid centre forward, but can he lead the line for a top Premier League club like like Chelsea? Like he was doing it against um, Sheffield United and the week before against Norwich. Norwich yeah. Can he do it against a slightly better team that the likes of Wolves will be who will bully him? Like they they are a solid defensive unit that like doing what they do. Yeah, this is a big test after like playing essentially two championship clubs. Yeah, the, the kind of teams he thrives against really, yeah. and it's a test for Frank Lampard because yeah, especially because the result against Sheffield United be two 0 up at home with Sheffield United and draw yeah. to a and the writing being on the wall as Frank Lampard said from yeah from the first half and like what what does that even mean? You're the manager. If the writing's on the wall, you do something about it. Yeah. But. So that was a concerning result, and then just finally we'll wrap up with uh, Watford against Arsenal. Kiki Sanchez Flores his first game. How do you see like that going? Like we said, Watford, Watford always 
have the ability to get a win. They share the training ground effectively. I think London Colony is Arsenal's training ground right next to Watford's training ground. So oh, they really? basically share the same pitches. So they, they know the players do know each other very well. That's just a coincidence of where their training facilities are. Uh, so they'll know each other. You know, Danny Welbeck is, is returned to Arsenal already. Uh, yeah, I can't really see beyond Arsenal winning this because a lot of their players did have a break. Aubameyang had a break there. I, I don't know about Lacazette, how he's doing. Uh, I didn't actually look into the French squad that much after Pogba pulled out of it. But I think I think this will be another run out for that front three of Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. And I, against, a, no offence to uh, Watford, but a weaker defence than maybe Arsenal played against so far this season, they might have a few goals in them. And I think Arsenal will win this one. Some some interesting Saturday kickoff games, and obviously we have the Champions League to look forward to then the week after. Yeah, uh, but that, that'll do us for this week on the show. Uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.